HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Hannah Forden, the membership coordinator at HRN, and I'm here with Jordan Werner, our, <laughs> our Julia Child Fellow, and uh, our one of our new interns, Michaela Heck, and of course, our stalwart engineer, David Tadashore. Hi. And our guest, Romy Gold. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Here at Heritage Radio, we all wear a lot of hats, so Jordan and I are going to be guest hosting Happy Hour this Thursday. On the show today, we're going to have some delicious clips from our new and upcoming shows to whet your appetite and get you ready for the fall season. And we're, of course, going to be talking with Romy, who is going to tell us about her underground dining project, Artemis. Thank you so much for joining us, Romy. No, thank you for having me over. Romy, I hope you're ready for some trivia. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> get ready. <laughs> uh, we had four new shows that launched this week on Heritage Radio Network. They are Meant to be Eaten, Andrew Talks to Chefs, a Hungry Society, and Buen Limon Radio. The premiere episodes from all of those shows will be up on our website. Yeah, I think some of them are up now and some are coming le- next week. Um, but before we share clips from those new programs and chat with Romy, we're going to jump into some rapid-fire headlines from the last week on Heritage Radio Network. This season, two, oh, sorry, the season two debut of Food Without Borders featured Jabber Albahani and Nasser Jaber, partners at Comida, uh, a platform that creates unique dining experiences that amplify the voices and cuisine of immigrant chefs. Tune in to hear about Displaced Dinners, a post-election series that gives diners an opportunity to taste the food of and hear stories from recently resettled refugees. And on this week's episode of The Line, Brooklyn-based lawyer, cook, writer, and event planner Noah Arnstein shares his endeavors as owner of El Atoradero, Brooklyn, Madre Mezcaleria, and Taqueria El Atoradero. Noah is also a, the co-founder of Real Cheap Eats, which sought out the best food under $10 at NYC, which is very useful, and has written for Serious Eats, Savor, and Thrillist. 
And on the season three premiere of Feast Meets West, Chef Jordan Andino talks to our hosts about breakfast, his Filipino hotspot Second City, and his new cooking channel show Late Night Eats. Cooking Issues then chatted with Paul Adams from Cooks Illustrated and Chef Lauren Resler of Empayon to talk baby DJs, smash cakes, fondant, buttercream, sheet cakes, raisins, crepes, cumin, grape jelly, and more. Then Sherry on this week's All in the Industry interviewed food writer and digital content strategist Kiri Tannenbaum. Kiri's the founder of Bitesy, which is an online travel guide and booking platform. And she also assisted the launch of MSN and Hearst's culinary site, Delish.com. Carrie was also one of my professors in NYU food oh, studies. Cool. <laughs> uh, and finally, on episode 400 of Beer Sessions, congratulations, Jimmy, on your 400th episode. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy talked to Nick, Kevin, and Blake from Five Burrows Brewing, as well as Merlin Ward from Mortega Brewing, Brewing, excuse me, based in Industry City. And on the Speakeasy, Damon and Souther were joined by Sam Gautier of Boilermaker. He talked about his career, bar life in NYC, Boilermaker, and Tea Punch. All right, it's been a great first week back for our fall season, and. I don't know about you guys, but I'm really excited to see what all of the shows on HRN have in store for us in the upcoming weeks. Can't wait. In just a moment, we're going to play some bite-sized clips from our new shows. Uh, first off, we'll be hearing from A Hungry Society, where host Korsha Wilson and her guest Rupa Bhattachara, managing editor for Vice Munchies, discuss a life-changing meal, what we eat, and what it says about our society. So would that still count as one of your favorite dining experiences that you've had or have I you think had so. have you had any others that have been um kind of life-altering or you know change your palate in a way that you didn't think that they would um well um I guess there are a, a couple that have changed like completely and there are a few of them like one was one er, early one was um Gotham Bar and Grill when I was I think 14 um they used to they still do I think this $20 lunch and one of my friends for her birthday had said for her lunch, she wanted to take her three best friends to Gotham Bar and Grill for $20 lunch. <laughs> and we went and it was, I mean, $20 was a hell of a lot of money in the 90s. Like, it, I mean, it still feels like a lot of money, frankly. <laughs> um, but you went and you got your three course lunch and it like involved, because it was like 1995 and it involved molten chocolate cake because of course it did. And like there was a vertical Caesar salad because of course there was. And but height the, of it was know, height. Hote it was, dining it was, in the nineties. <laughs> emphasis on height, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was incredible. It blew my mind. It was like, what is this phenomenal world? Um, also, because it was the child of immigrants, and we didn't really have entry to the sort of things, the sort of cultural capital that like many of the people I ended up growing up with had. Um, and so, like, it was just this whole thing that existed that I had never really seen before. Similarly, I went back to my high school recently to give a talk about essentially, like, food media and um, and what that means and how it's democratized the landscape and like what how social media, for example, has democratized the landscape of food. And a very smart 16-year-old was like, and I talked about how um, food is now participatory experience. You Instagram your cronut, you Instagram your, you know, the way you Instagram all these other things. And a very, very smart 16-year-old looked me in the eye and was like, oh, it's like that roast chicken at the Nomad. And like, wow, correct. And also that's what I make in a week. So like, you know, and that's like who I grew up with. That was the milieu I grew up around. 
Next up, we're going to hear a little bit from Heritage Radio Network's first ever Spanish language show, which we're super excited about. Um, Buen Limón is hosted by Diego Senor and Mariana Velasquez. Um, and in this clip, we're going to hear some music from Gerardo Contino y los Habaneros. Hey guys, thank you for having us in our show. This is Diego Senior. And I'm Mariana Velázquez. We both host... Buen Limón Radio. And uh, we're very excited to have the first show in Spanish for Heritage Radio Network. And a teeny bit of English, actually. Yeah, very true. Uh, we talk about music and we talk about food in our language. And here's a little bit of how it sounds when we have musicians live on air. Estaba la pájara pinta sentada en su verde limón. Con el pico cortaba la rama, con la rama cortaba la flor. And every episode will have a theme, a fruit, a vegetable, a tradition, a celebration. And in this particular one, this band that we invited, that we had over, they just periodically started singing about our theme, which is the same name of our show, the lemon, the good lemon, el buen limón. And next, we're going to play a clip from Meant to be Eaten. Host Andrea Ween and guest Jeremy Umansky, owner of Cleveland restaurant Koji, uh, discuss experimentation with growing mold on scallops. I happened to be just messing around, and, and for some reason the thought popped in my head, why don't I coat something in rice flour and spores and grow it on there? And that's something at that time I, I wanted to set a limit test. It ended up being a scallop. So I took scallops, I gently seasoned them with salt and sugar to kind of bring out some of their moisture so the, the flour would adhere and also the sugar is in there to provide instant food for the mold before it can break its own down from the, the rice starch. I coated them in this flour mixture and held them at 90 degrees and about 90% humidity for, for 48 hours. <laughs> and anyone who's left stuff in their car takeout food knows that scallops sitting in 90 degree heat for 48 hours should typically spell disaster, but that's not what happened. Yeah, they, they should be like a putrefied, <laughs> liquefied, disgusting, gag inducing mess, but, but they weren't. Uh, the mold grew beautifully on them and uh, being, you know, the people Chef Sawyer and I are, like they hit the frying pan right away without a thought as to whether this is going to be uh, something that could, could, you know, cause us bodily harm or anything. <laughs> and they ended up being good, and we were fine, and further testing went on. And, and I developed two really interesting techniques out of that uh, for, for working with proteins. Uh, and we do it with vegetables and all, all sorts of things, too, using koji that, as far as we found out and, and know to this day, even, even with all the attention it's gotten, has, hasn't been done before. Wow, that is brave. I have to say, I have a home fermentation kit that's just sitting there because I'm scared of poisoning myself, but that just takes it to a whole new level. Very impressive. So next up, we're going to hear from Andrew Friedman, host of the new show Andrew Talks to Chefs. He sat down with Empeyon's uh, Alex Stupak, and we'll hear them consider the place where art and food come together. Do you think of cooking as an art? Um, 
I believe facets of it can can be perceived that way. And those would be what? Um, for me, it's the overall point. So when I was a pastry chef, it was the dish. Mm-hmm. It was this one dish. Whereas now, um, one of the challenges I face is I can't think of the, the dish anymore. I can think about the dishes, and I can think of them in the environment. And for me, the art of it that I, I would be trying to nail is like, are you making people feel the way you you're, you you intend? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, but are you talking about it? Because for me, you know, food at a certain, I would definitely put your food in this category. There's, um, I mean, there ultimately you're going to eat it, right? Mm-hmm. That to me is always the people sure. who have an issue calling it art. To me, that's always whether they realize it or not. I feel like that's where that's the crux of the issue is that you're, it's something you're eating. Um, yes. It doesn't, which has all kinds of, that means several things, right? It means it's not going to exist in a minute. Um, it also means that it's nourishment, it's food. And I think that ultimately, if you push people who don't like that, applying that word to it, mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot well, of them, where it comes from for a lot it's, of them. It's tricky. I mean, because again, like uh, art is meant to evoke an emotion. That's not necessarily, a, it necessarily has to be a positive emotion. So that's where it gets tricky calling food art because uh, like food ultimately is meant to be pleasurable. Yes. Uh, a restaurant experience is meant to be pleasurable. So if it gets so off the deep end that you're trying to, I don't know, emote sadness or disdain or, or whatever. Well then gloom. Yeah. Then then I'm, (laughs) then I, I personally am not a fan, Yeah, but, um, through comfort and familiarity and hospitality and alcohol and, you know, warm lighting. Yeah. If you can romance people in that way, if you can seduce people in that way to now start eating or considering things differently. Yeah. I guess that's sort of the art or the, the magic that I'm after. Hmm. And last but not least, um, those are our kind of four new weekly shows, but we have a special podcast series that'll be coming out October 4th that we are super excited about, Modernist Breadcrumbs. And Modernist Breadcrumbs is a partnership between us here at HRN, uh, the Modernist Cuisine team, and a whole bunch of bakers, grain millers, scientists, bread nerds, breadheads. All over the world. Breadheads. <laughs> Breadheads. <laughs> um, it's full of bread puns. Get ready. Um, and that'll be hosted by Michael Harlan Turkel, our host of the food scene here. I've had the pleasure of working on that project um, along with Connor O'Donovan as a producer. And I have to say, it's going to be incredible. And this is, we're really excited. David finished putting our trailer together today. So we are going well to done, play the trailer now. There's no smell in the world of food equal to the perfume of baking bread, and few greater pleasures in eating than sitting down with a slice of freshly baked bread, good butter, and a cup of tea or coffee. This October, Modernist Cuisine founder Nathan Mirvold and head chef Francisco Magoya will join me, Michael Harlan Turkel of The Food Scene, for Modernist Breadcrumbs, a special collaborative podcast series that takes a fresh look at one of the oldest staples of the human diet, bread. Although it may seem simple, bread is more complex than you think. I don't remember the first time I ate bread. I think very few people do, (laughs) because I must have been very little indeed. I remember the first time that I saw bread being baked. I'd asked about it, and my grandmother made a loaf of bread. And I was fascinated with the whole thing. From the microbes that power fermentation to the economics of growing grain, there's a story behind every loaf. Each episode will reveal those stories and more. 
beginning with Brad's surprising and often complicated past, from the perspective of people who are passionate about bread and shaping its future. We did 1,500 experiments. 1,500 experiments. That's, in the context of three years working on a project, 1,500 experiments, that's 500 experiments a year. If you have 365 days, and you know, we're not working every day of the week. Well, I'm not sure there is such a thing as the perfect bread. Um, it, and of course, it, there is always a very strong subjective aspect to any kind of cooking. The five-volume, 2,642-page book, Modernist Bread, will take us into the ever-expanding world of bread. The culmination of over four years of non-stop research, photography, experiments, writing, and baking. Modernist Breadcrumbs is a podcast sharing the voices, stories, and insights of top bread bakers and experts from around the world. Hundreds of hours of interviews were captured by the Modernist Breadcrumbs team, led by Michael Harlan Turkel, a passionate cook, baker, and author himself. Whether you love making bread or simply eating it, this show is sure to feed your curiosity and hunger for a truly great loaf. You can throw a recipe together, or you can be meticulous, and chances are both approaches are likely to produce a good bread. It is a mysterious business, this making of bread, and once you're hooked by the miracle of yeast, you'll be a bread maker for life. That sounds so good. Well done, David, for putting that all together. And to Jordan and Connor and Michael and the whole team at Modernist, we're all really excited for the show. And I love that question, do you remember the first time you ate bread? Like, do you guys remember the first time you ate bread? What about Romy? Of course not. David doesn't. (laughs) I do. What what was it? It was just French bread. In Argentina, you you know, on your way to school, you you smell the bread in the morning and you can stop and, and get a slice of bread or just, you know, a little, like a tiny, it, they make these tiny baguettes in Argentina. Um, they call it bambollo. And uh, I just remember, like, I think it was the maybe the first grade that I started walking mm. to school. And uh, the local bakery would, would say, come on in, we have fresh bread. And then, you know, we, we would get a little piece. And it was just, I, I mean, I never forgot that. And it was just like perfect inside and then the crust on the outside and that smell like just walking mm-hmm. to school it made the walk a lot better <laughs> yeah with like warm yeah. bread in your hand <laughs> something to yeah. look forward especially to especially in the winter you know, on a rainy day and he'd wrap it in a little paper and it was just really special oh, I love that yeah that's fun I love bread <laughs> And then there's Oprah. We were waiting for that. Yeah. I think once every show, David plays that clip. Yep. <laughs> what do we, M- Michaela, do you have any good bread memories? Gosh, I wish I did. I'm so sorry. I'm so boring. But uh, <laughs> I really don't remember. <laughs> I'm just, uh, I am a major bread fan, though. That's good. Definitely yeah. a carboholic. And listening to the trailer definitely made me super hungry. Yeah, our stomachs <laughs> are all growling. Hopefully we can just go eat some pizza and that'll... Yeah. Pizza's bread. Totally. What about you, Jordan? Any good bread memories? Ooh, we had to do this the other day for our first episode, kind of talking about early memories. And I didn't remember the bread itself, but my mom had one of those really heinous old bread machines, like in the 90s, (laughs) that makes the really funny, tall, square loaves of bread if you leave it in there. And so I remember the sound of that rattling and like the smell through the house from... 
We called it R2D2. Yes. That was our bread machine. Yeah, we had one of those too, and it would, always, <laughs> it would always leave like a huge hole in the bottom of the bread because there's no way of removing the mixer part. So there's always like a really weird hole, like fractured bottom of the bread. But yeah. the smell is still there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my mom used to make like a yeasty bread with a lot of honey in it um, and like cornmeal. And I just remember the smell of that, like both fermenting. I feel like smell is super important to bread memories. Mm-hmm. Anyway, before we jump into our interview with Romy, we're going to hear a quick message from our sponsors and we'll be right back. This is the story of men and women who shed not only their clothes, but also their... Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. That commercial never fails to make me giggle. Uh, Thanks, Roberta's. We love you. Um, So now we're going to move on to talking with our guest, Romy Gold. So a little background. I met Romy about a year ago, um, and she was just sort of jumping into this amazing underground dining project called Artemis. Um, and it's been a really big year for both of us. A lot of changes have happened, and I'm really excited to have Romy on air today so we can catch up. Yay. <laughs> Are you the Michelle to her Romy? <laughs> Hopefully Everyone one day. Says that. <laughs> Are you really sick of that joke? Yeah. <laughs> so I was lucky enough to attend one of Romy's Artemis dinners in Brooklyn this winter, and it was one of the most magical evenings, dining experiences I've had in a really long time. Um, the meal was inspired by indigenous foods from South America, and there were mezcal toasts, there was a tarot reader, and the atmosphere that Romy put together was a perfect escape from New York winter, which we all know is terrible. Um, so since then, you have had dinners in Austin, um, you've had a couple more in New York City, and they're all entirely different and themed. So um, I know you started out as a visual artist, um, and you come from a family of chefs. Yeah, so I'm true. curious, how yeah, did you make crazy. that shift? Uh, well, I never, st- you, you know, once you're an artist, you, you don't stop being an artist. You might stop producing artwork that is physical, but mm-hmm. if your mind is constantly creating, then uh, you're still an artist to me, you know. Um, I started off as a dancer, actually, and mm. then I, I, I left that at a very young age, and then I... Um, kept painting and was into the art scene and 
I discovered food a lot later in life, and it was almost by accident. I, I, I needed a job really bad. I was in Marfa, Texas, and I was living, was kind of homeless, and had, uh, I was living with this woman <laughs> as a pro- film producer out there, and she's, I would cook for her all the time, and she said, you know, sweetheart, he's, she's like, you cook really well. You should go to the, you need a job, so you should go talk to Tom at Cochineal Restaurant, which was a very fancy place in Marfa. It was like one of the first ones that was very, very elegant and beautiful. Um, and the, him and his husband were from New York, or he was from New York, and his husband from Japan. Mm. And they um, opened this restaurant as a retirement thing. And so I went, and he hired me and taught me everything. You know, they taught me everything I knew, and I fell in love with it. And I had no idea ever. I thought I would never do something like my dad or my grandfather mm-hmm. or... Um, and it's uh, it's amazing, and also my, my brother is an executive chef oh my in gosh, Dallas. It's so it's the like everyone, <laughs> yeah. It's like we used to as kids, we would just like get so annoyed when dad would come home and like you smell like pizza. We don't want to hug you, and like <laughs> or we would like you know have endless Shirley Temples while he was still like at the restaurant, and we were just like we want to go home. And Aww. it's it's always it's such a hard life to live the restaurant life, you know. And I I thought no, I, I would never do that, you know. And I'm such a creative person that. Um, that's definitely something I didn't think I would do, but it, I was surprised, and I, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the, the ingredients, um, and then the, the 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 act of cooking, like the whole experience of like even from the beginning, from from the moment that you plant a seed into the ground, and you watch that grow, and then you pick it, and then to all of that is so important to me. Ingredients are, they have to be the best, mm-hmm. and. Uh, in a way, this project was a response to people telling me that I couldn't be an artist and a chef, that I had to choose one or the other. And I am a very uncompromising person. I don't, I don't like to be told what to do either. <laughs> and um, um, so I was like, no, I, I can do, I can, watch me, I can do both. I can yeah. do whatever I want. And so I am doing it, and I'm very, very happy that it's, it's come this far. Um, I feel like a big um, help was... Uh, doing these special dinners at the Marvel Film Festival mm. because that gave me a platform to meet a lot of wonderful people and then feed a lot of people. And it was kind of like my experimental, like I was just like trying it out and saying, okay, what would it be like when I do my own project? Nice. And nice. so I'm always grateful to them for supporting. Yeah, it seems like Marfa's a really good incubator for definitely. a lot of That's creativity definitely, yeah. and it's a yeah. nice community. I, don't, yeah. I haven't been, but I really want to go. It's so beautiful out there. It's yeah. like it's my one of my homes. I, I feel very close to the desert. Nice, yeah. nice. So tell me about the name. I don't think I ever got the origin story of why you chose Artemis as the name. Obviously, she's the yeah. ancient Greek goddess of the hunt. Yes, and the wilderness yes. and animals. And I... Um, well, I was working in New Orleans and uh, at this restaurant with Chef Marcus Woodham, who's a mentor to me. And I, we originally were, I was going to do the project with him there. And we were working at this restaurant that was owned by a hotel and it became corporate overnight and it kind of changed everything. And mm. things were just very different for me. Um, I had just gone through a breakup and I, like my lease was up and all these things kind of were at, at the end. And... Uh, and I was like, I, I think I, I need to do something. I need to do. I need to start something new. And I said, Marcus, we should do our own project. What do you think? And he was like, totally down. And we couldn't come up with a name. And like, I thought, well, we need to do something that's um, that reflects both of us. Mm-hmm. That it's uh, that it's definitely very feminine, but at the same time has because he was very good at the technical part, and he like was an excellent butcher and like 
total New Orleans boy, you know, Louisiana boy. <laughs> like he knew he's just amazing. And and I was like the more the, the artistic and delicate part. And I was like kind of Artemis and Apollo kind of thing, like, you know. Oh, nice. And um, we agreed on it. And I thought this is perfect because, you know, we're, we were both very wild people. And, and so it made sense. Um, and I love all things mystical. I love, you know, crystals and plants and just... <laughs> You know, and so I thought um, that was the perfect name yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a good segue. My next question was, so, yeah, you describe Artemis as food for mystics. And yeah. I'm curious how that, how does that manifest and what does that mean to you? Well, I, you know, I use a lot of, like, herbs and I use a lot of that the aesthetic is very... Um, Mystical. I mean, you know, I love using the crystals, and I I believe that you know everything has is connected and has energy, and especially uh, with with food. Um, you have I I grew up learning about herbs and like what mint did and what you know this other herb did, and so you you can use your you can make your food as a healing thing as well, mm-hmm. and like. Um, creating something magic like that and to me it's like an experience like I grew up around food and I till this day I will never forget the experience of like being out in the garden or sitting down with a bunch of people and everyone just drinking and having a great time and like I fell in love with that as a child and it's never left me like I can go back to that day like the summer of I'm not gonna say what year (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but it was like I it it really is what really inspired this because there's nothing like gathering as a, as a group of like humans just just sitting around and, and experiencing that and that energy and so and I've always loved you know all the tarot and all the mystical mm-hmm. stories and legends and things and so it's just kind of a my child my childhood like beliefs or something it's just yeah. like connected to that in a way so I think, yeah totally I think as a grown up it's good to not like go of all the things that oh, for make sure. you feel like there's magic you, you, in the if world. You stop, if you stop, that, if you kill that child in you, it's it's, it's over, you know, mm-hmm. to me at least. Absolutely. And so. I feel like that was one of the things that was so special about the Artemis dinner that I went to. That was the first one. I know. Yeah. It was amazing. So it was, it like was an, crazy. Yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> I was so by myself that night. <laughs> I did everything. I do everything. It's, I, I need help. Yeah, I think between the mezcal and the good company. Oh, the mezcal. I worship them. I incredible. Can we talk about Gem and Bold oh for my God, a second? I love them. It's owned by these two wonderful women. I know one of them. I uh, met her and Marfa, Adrina. And, uh, but I love what they stand for and what they do. And the mezcal is like infused with a, a, um, this herb called Damiana. And it's more of a sipper than like a mixed drink type mm. mezcal. But it's everything they do, their aesthetic. It's like hand, the bottles were hand painted originally. Beautiful. Yeah. It's just stunning. And they're, they've become a, a big collaborator and supporter of the project. And uh, we're hoping to do more stuff together. Nice. Uh, hopefully one in Oaxaca at some point. I hear they do this feast for the Dia de los Muertos, and I'm, I would die to do oh, that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, I um, think we'll have to take a field yeah. trip if that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan's on board. We go, yes, 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 go, go. <laughs> yeah, we'll be sure to cover that event. <laughs> yeah, but I'm super grateful to them. They they inspire a lot of also my aesthetic, and I, mm-hmm. it's it's they're just inspiring to me yeah well collaborations like that are so helpful and that's the thing I wanted also to like I eventually want it to be like a like a like a collective of people and you know growers and people that just create something and bring whatever if they're really good at something I want them to just do their own thing and just participate so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know if a mixologist wants to create 
dinners based off on my menu, then I would just let them, I would just give them the, the guidelines. Like, this is what's happening. These are the flavor profiles. Yeah. Do as you please. And I, it, I guarantee you, it always works out where it matches perfectly. It, it just, when you allow people to like have that openness and like you let them run with it, it's like the, it's the best to me. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, you're definitely approaching Artemis from a very non-traditional, like... Oh, yeah. There's no rules. Yeah. Like, I have no rules, and I, I I, never be tied down with that. I make my own rules, I guess, in a way, but the menus are... They can be inspired for the most random thing, like uh, one of the recent ones was inspired by Mozart's operas, and, and it, like, you know, like, one of the dishes was a, a escargot toast that had these flowers, but it was inspired by a lake in Vienna, mm-hmm. and it was anything related to Vienna and Mozart, and then I have, I'm lucky to have an opera singer cousin, Agostina Magoni, and she came out to New York um, and sang Mozart while people dined, for example, and it was just so special. That sounds you know? amazing. Absolutely. So it's always, like, it has a, yeah. a little bit of theater, a little bit of, of art, a little bit of yeah. And I know, you know, it sounds like part of what inspired you to do this project is a response to things that weren't working for you working in restaurants. Oh, so yeah. like there's a rigidity, you know, it's very male dominated. Yeah. There's a hierarchy. Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's a definitely the hierarchy yeah. thing is like really uh, doesn't really work for me. I I I'm, I love that I had the experience and I sometimes, you know, I miss I miss that hustle and I miss being there. And mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's just it wasn't for me. Um I love the experience that I had, and I kind of did a. I feel like it was a crash course in, in in the culinary arts to me because I went from learning under a chef that had had a Michelin star here, and then ended up working at a Michelin wow. star place, but all in less than five years. That's amazing. And I was like, this. How, how does this happen? You know. But it's like you have to be fearless, and I never like. I just don't care. I'm I'm really a fearless person. Um, but um, I, I learned a lot, and I'm glad that I experienced that because I'm one of those people that takes everything. Like, I'm a sponge. If I, I see, <laughs> like, when I worked for Santina, um, they, I was part of the opening crew, and, like, I remember exactly how the whole process went. Like, I know exactly how you are able to open a restaurant and the process of that from, like, almost finishing construction to working up the menu, and, like, that's all up in my head still, and... Hopefully someday I can put it to you. I have a feeling that you will. <laughs> I, have I have a feeling. So, okay. So as a sponge mm-hmm. filled with memories, mm-hmm. do you have a favorite dish? Like if you had to pick one, what is your absolute favorite dish to make and maybe to eat as well? I th- I'm going to have to say it's it's just crudo of any, mm. any kind of crudo. It's just, it just, it blew my mind. I, when I worked at Santina and then moved to CZ's, um, they did a lot of seafood from the Amalfi Coast, and I, I just fell in love with it. And it's so distant from Argentina, because I grew up surrounded by meat and Italian food, but Italian food that was not seafood. Mm. And so a lot of pasta and a lot of bread, and and then uh, I moved to America as a child, and then you know eventually discovered sushi and things like that. And I, I was just, th- that is so interesting to me, and how it's so delicate. Seafood is so delicate, and... Uh, but I mean, I love everything. I also love a real mole is one of my favorite things. Mm. And because I grew up in Texas, I was able to hang out with some some ladies that were kind enough to share their secret recipes with me. So, so yeah. And I I got to taste some of your mole at the dinner. That's right. Too. I did have the, so the mole good. thing. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. I'm trying to. Was it? 
trying to, I think the no, mezcal could, has damaged my memory. I'm trying I to bet. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Um, I think it was, I, I think it was a poblano. It was, it was yes. a vegetarian oh, yeah, dish, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was mostly plant-based. Mm-hmm. I think slowly I'm moving towards more plant-based um, type of endeavor. I don't know. I, I feel like everything's so polluted and mm. it's just so hard to find things that are, you know, pure and fresh. Um, without yeah. spending a million dollars too, you know, <laughs> you're Fair starting enough. out, it's like really tough, but, um, absolutely. But absolutely. Yeah. And, um, so aside from a, a plant-based focus, what do you see in Artemis's future? Well, I, I feel like it's, it's maybe I'm, I'm going to do a few more of these underground, you know, dinner experiences. Um, I feel like just to, just to kind of get going and get some practice, and but I think ultimately, um, I, I see I see a place. I, I think Artemis needs its own spot, mm-hmm. and it will definitely be like nothing that is out there or s- similar. Um, there's a few chefs actually that I admire greatly that are that have something similar. Um, uh, Chef Ludo in, in LA has a place called Tromek, and I. I was lucky enough to like trail there for one day and I didn't get the job, but I love that I didn't get the job because then I wouldn't be sitting here, you know, and, and, uh, his restaurant was just amazing. It was, um, you know, it's like ticket based and there's only two seatings per, per day. It's very controlled. Mm -hmm. It's Monday through Fridays. It's just, it's, it's perfect. And the the staff, it's, it's, it's so perfect. It's so disciplined, you know? So it was very inspiring, and I thought, oh, he's doing this. This is possible, you know? And then there's a place that I read about here recently, too, uh, called Aska, and I was like, oh, my God, like, that, that's very inspiring to me that there's a few people out there that are doing these restaurants that are very small and that that have the best ingredients, but they're in CZ's also, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the last restaurant I worked at, and they're at a 14-top place, and I thought, this is so perfect. If I ever had a restaurant, it would be similar, you know, like Absolutely. like the, the idea of just being so intimate and for people, it would be a place for people to just that really love and appreciate food, you know? Yeah. I think Okonomi in Williamsburg is also a good example. Oh, I have heard from yeah. them. I follow them on Instagram. They're, they're incredible. Oh, they're fa- I can't wait to go. Yeah. One of our interns just started cooking there oh. and she's like you where she didn't have like a classically trained background. Did they dinner anybody for like one day a week? <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to ask. But um, where can our listeners find more information um, um, and well, hear about upcoming events? They can events? follow us on Instagram at Artemis underscore NY or the website. There's a contact form through there. You can email us there and it's dearhuntress.com. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, so now I would mm-hmm. suggest you take a strong sip of your beer because it yes, is time for <laughs> trivia. Trivia. <laughs> All right. Since Artemis is food for mystics, trivia this week is inspired by the theme of magical food. Oh, wow. (laughs) So we're going to ask Romy about food throughout history believed to have magical powers. Mm. So question one. And Michaela, if you know an answer, feel free to jump in. Absolutely. Yeah, phone a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question one. This fruit was once believed to have strong powers of attraction. Myth has it that if you bit into one while another person was holding it, the one consuming it would become infatuated with the beholder. What is it? Ooh, the apple? No. Close. <gasps> oh. <laughs> Close. I totally guessed. It's a bit more Mediterranean no focus. Yeah. Oh. Any ideas? The fig. Yes. Yes. 
Got it. I love that. I love that. Um, I could do the next one. So, uh, what mythical creature is garlic believed to repel? Well, in our, uh, well uh, snakes. Let's, snakes oh. in Argentina. Oh, but really? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. In I the didn't, rest of the world. Does it work? I don't know. My, my grandfather swore by it. Oh. <laughs> well, there must be some kind of a connection because yeah. in. European mythology. Yeah, it's I mean, vampires. He was Italian, so yeah. Oh, but, well, yeah. so I they both it. have vampire sh- sharp teeth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Third question: Forming a circle of what seasoning is thought to keep demons at bay? Salt. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> and um, what fruit is symbolically linked to the sun? Ooh. Oh my God! You can do it. Oh my god. <laughs> I'll give dying. you a hint. It's the same color as the sun ish. Sometimes. Sometimes. Like at the end of the day? Yeah. It's it's shaped like the sun. Oh. I don't know. An orange? Yeah. <laughs> You're killing it. Uh, cutting this pungent vegetable in half and leaving it out in a room is thought to absorb illness. Onions. Yes. I think this How do is I know all this? Yeah. This is a record. Oh, yeah. I, I want like such a witch right now. <laughs> and our resident witch. On that question, I have a sidebar. Okay. Someone told me recently that if you cut an onion, put it on the bottom of your feet, put on socks, and go to bed, you'll wake up with like a completely cured cold. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> have you trying. tried it, David? No. <laughs> you well, here? I have to say, uh, this spins off into another. Um, so my mom is a bit of a little like witch doctor. And when I was little and I would get ear infections, um, if you like lay on your side and put an onion against your ear, it actually really helped. So yeah. I don't know. There's some truth to some of this witchiness. Um, okay, so last question. Um, eating beans on New Year's Day is meant to bring what? <laughs> Very funny. <David. laughs> Digestive issues aside, uh-huh. um, I think it's just good luck or money. Yeah, yeah both. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that was a record-breaking round of trivia, yeah. Romy. You deserve some sort of prize. Um, we'll buy you a pizza. I'll buy you a pizza. pizza <laughs> yes. Okay, so that's it for this week. Um, I am here as the membership coordinator to remind you to consider joining the Heritage Radio Network community by becoming a member. A member, So you can go to heritageradionetwork.org and click the beating heart at the top right corner of our page um, to make a contribution. No matter how small, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. The show is produced by Liz Mystic and myself. Thank you to my co-pilot, Jordan Werner, to Michaela for the moral support, and of course, to our guest, Romy Gold. Uh, Last but not least, thank you to David Tadashor, our stalwart engineer, and to Kat and Katie for giving Jordan and I the reins this week. It was a lot of fun. They'll be back next week with news from Atlanta and the Chef's Collaborative Summit. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. 
enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Let's go.